0: Here, because of my son. He is 10 years old. He had issues with mental health early on. I was in denial. Just don't be transparent. I was lulled into a false sense of security.
1: You trust that because
0: right. she's a professional. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Research, find out as much as you can about whatever diagnosis that your child has. Use your resources, the people around you. And if you don't have those people in your corner, then meet those people and just hang in there.
1: Hello, and welcome back. You're listening to Season 2 of Adam Was Mad, a podcast where we discuss all things childhood mental health. I'm your host, Michelle, and each week I speak with a guest, who either experienced mental health struggles as a child themselves, is parenting a child who has a mental health diagnosis, or who's a professional in this field. A quick cautionary note, many of our episodes do talk about trauma of various kinds, so listener discretion is advised. Every story is important and valued, and every story reminds us we're not alone out there. You have a village of people understand exactly what you're going through and who can help if you're looking to connect more closely with that village join us on facebook in the group your village by following the link at the top of today's show notes when you join enter your email to receive our free monthly resource hopefully you'll learn something new hear something interesting or truly just be reminded that you're not alone without any further ado let's get to today's episode Hi everyone, welcome back. Today I'm speaking with Marla. Marla, welcome. Thank you for being here. Tell me a little bit about yourself.
0: So, yes, I'm a nurse practitioner. Um, I'm no longer working in an office though, because about six years ago I was involved in a car accident with an 18-wheeler.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. So thankfully my son wasn't in the car with me. Thank God. But, um, yes, thankfully. But because of that, um, I've had to pivot and right now I have a continuing education business and it's called, um, education, Educatrix Advanced Practice Seminars. And so what we do is we host events for nurses and nurse practitioners, um, so that they can get their continuing education credits and they need those for their licensures and certifications. But, um, I'm here though, not talking about my business, but because of my son, um, he is 10 years old. He's my only child. Um, and it's funny because I said I wasn't ever going to only have one, but I did cause I'm an only child too. Mm. Yeah. Only children. Yuck. <laughs> um, well, you know, because we always beg for another one. So, um, yes, my 10 year old I, I knew some that he had issues with mental health early on, um like about five, okay. <laughs> um, so at, th- at that point, you know, I started getting him help with um, a counselor um and I I did get him evaluated at that point, but you know, when they're four and five, I, it must been four. When they're four and five, um it's hard that early. So, as we went on he he kept seeing somebody because you know his dad is not um present in his life um and so that was another reason why I wanted him to see a counselor specifically a male counselor but unfortunately we kind of had a bumpy road with counselors um because they would leave us like without any warning oh and that's gosh. not supposed to happen. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Like A counselor is supposed to be a sort of pillar of strength and stability in your life, not somebody who leaves with no notice and then leaves you with feelings of abandonment
0: and instability. And that's right. And my son already had issues with abandonment. And then the first male counselor that we had abandoned him. He got a job. Um, somewhere else, and he did tell us that he got a job, but you know we were supposed to have like a month of transition and then we don't know what happened whether or not the office didn't let him continue or he decided to move early, whatever the case may be um the next time he went he wasn't there. oh wow and then, um it was right around like with the well, it was right before the pandemic happened and then the next person that we got, Um, it was right when the pandemic happened. And so she kind of stayed with him a little bit into the pandemic. And then the same thing happened with her. Something happened. And, you know, one day she was there and one day she was not.
1: Oh my gosh. So between his dad, the first therapist, and now the second therapist, this is the third case of abandonment that he's been through and he's what at this point you said he's 10 now this would have been around 2020 the time of the pandemic so seven eight and he's already been through three losses of a stable adult
0: figure in his life right right and then um shortly thereafter my parents my my dad and my stepmom, they ended up moving to Florida. They lived here, but they only lived about an hour away from where we lived. So he saw them a lot. My dad was pretty much his um, f- his father figure, right? The constant male figure in his life. And then they moved to Florida. Oh, So course, it was a man. lot of change, a lot of, you know, male figures not being there. Um, and so thankfully I was able to get him a... Um, a mentor. And so that's been good, but for financial reasons, it hasn't really been consistent um, because I haven't been consistently able to pay him. And it's not because the mentor has not worked with us because he has, he's been phenomenal and he hasn't made it about money, but at some point it has to be about money, right?
1: Right. He has to pay his bills too. Right.
0: He can't just continually see my son for free. And, right. you know, I get that. And, you know, by no means am I blaming him because, you know, he, he has been phenomenal. I don't know what we would have done without him. Um, So, you know, I don't want anybody to hear that I'm, you know, saying that he's abandoned us either because he hasn't. Right. So, right. Um, but that's, that's why he has not been more consistent. And that that's just because of me. You know, because I haven't been able to
1: afford him. I mean, you say you haven't been able to afford him, and I hear some guilt there, but what really pulls at me as you've told your story is that you have been so consistent in terms of advocating for your son. So his father isn't in his life. So you made sure that he had your stepfather as that constant male role model. You saw an issue coming up that was concerning to you at his as his mother and you enrolled him in therapy. The first therapist left, and you made sure he had another one. That therapist left, and you found a way to get him that mentor. You have been his advocate for day one. And I mean, I can hear in your voice that guilt over not being able to have that mentor involved more consistently and not having the financial resources to make that a consistent presence in his life. But truly, you are the consistency in his life. You have been his greatest, best advocate through all of this, not only the fact that you are present in his life, but you have been present, been stable and on his side since day one. And that's more than a lot of children have. So I really commend you for that. I mean, you have learned how to advocate for your child and advocacy is so hard for so many parents.
0: Well, thank you. Um, I think that that a lot of that is because it's innate, right? You know, I mean, I'm a nurse, so um, being an advocate is who I am. And then the other part of that is, you know, having the journey of going from provider to patient and knowing how it is to be a patient, knowing how vulnerable that is and realizing um, how it is on the other side. Yeah, (laughs) tell me
1: more about that. What was that like for you?
0: Um, Being a patient sucks. Um, (laughs) I mean, just frankly, it sucks. Um, I I never realized how bad it was. You hear the statistics, right? You hear that women aren't listened to with their symptoms, that they're kind of put off. You hear that Black women, you know, that their pain is, um, is undervalued. But, you know, to me, they were just statistics. I mean, they were real, but they're not real because it hadn't happened to me per se. Right. Right. Um, because I wasn't, you know, the only reason why I had to go to the doctor was like for a checkup or like something like quick outpatient. Like I wasn't like a dependent patient. You know, like I didn't have like a chronic issue. And now that I've had a chronic issue and had to depend on doctors, um, you know, for my livelihood, like to get paid for disability, um, you know, for a handicap sticker um, to, you know, claim we have homestead exemption in, in Georgia. And so we have to have that signed off by a physician that you're disabled Um, to get a bigger tax break on your house. So, I mean, to depend on physicians for all of that and getting the pushback and when you've been on the other side and you know it's really not that big a deal. (laughs) I mean, it's just frustrating or knowing that it doesn't have to be as big a deal as the office is making it to be, right? Um, It's just, it sucks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I really like what you said about it. it was real, but it wasn't real because I think that's how so many of us sort of go through life, right? We know these statistics. We hear the statistics. We believe the statistics. It's not that there's any doubt that the statistics are correct, but it's not personal. It doesn't, we don't experience it. And it's so different when you're in that position of vulnerability, and you're experiencing it from a firsthand perspective for the very first time, I can see how that would really bring that experience home. You, you said, you know, the advocacy for your son comes naturally because of you having this experience. Is that really where it developed for you? Was after your accident, laying in a hospital bed and having to be dependent on others and advocate for yourself?
0: I've always been an advocate. i I've always believed in doing the most for my patients. Um, even I mean i've I've gotten in trouble a lot. oh really? Doing that when when I transitioned to my nurse practitioner role, um that was one thing that my doctor complained um to me about me a lot was that, you know, I took too much time in rooms. I was doing things that I didn't have to do for patients, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, that, that's that's just who I am, you know. And I how just...
1: sad that you were getting in trouble for doing that, for spending too much time in patients'
0: rooms, and you just cared too much. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's frustrating. I can see both sides. I can see from a provider side where you have to be efficient and you have to see X number of patients to keep, you know, the business afloat. And I could see on the other side where, you know, I want to see the patients that I want to see and make sure that they're thoroughly taken care of regardless of time. (laughs) Right. Right. So back to my son, we took a break after having so many years abandon him because he was just done. You mm-hmm. know, he didn't really like therapy anymore. He went from loving to go to therapy to I don't want to do therapy anymore,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: which was totally understandable. And so, you know, we just quit. We quit for a while. He's always done taekwondo. He's okay. been doing taekwondo since he was four. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, he didn't want to go to Taekwondo practice anymore. Like I've never had to twist his arm. But in yeah, in 2021, all of a sudden it was, oh, my stomach hurts. Oh, I can't go anywhere because I don't feel good. And, you know, it was just this miscellaneous symptoms. My head hurts, you know, and it's not that I doubt that they were real. We just didn't know what was going on with them. So, you know, first I went down the physical road, went to pediatrician, tried to figure out what was wrong. We went to a neurologist, couldn't figure out what was going on. So then after we exhausted all the physical things, finally went and had him evaluated by um, a psychologist. Right. Yeah. And of course we had to wait three months. It's not a quick thing when you realize that your son needs or your child needs to be evaluated by somebody. And at that point, when I was making the decision to evaluate him, I knew I was going to have to put him in public school. And that was going to be our first exposure to public school because I was raised in private school. To date, he had been in private school. And then, you know, I homeschooled him for a year. But I just couldn't continue to homeschool him. And financially, I couldn't put him back in private school. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody had recommended to me to go ahead and, you know, do the, the private testing. So I was like, okay. So we had him privately tested. And when it came back that he had ADHD, I, I was like, I was in denial. Just gonna be transparent. I was <laughs> like, no, they're just trying to label my son. You know, they, they label all you know, African-American boys with ADHD, you know, and and then my next reaction was, well, you know, he's not hyperactive. So, you know, why in the world are they labeling him with ADHD? And then when I got to talk to the psychologist about his diagnosis, I realized because when I went to nursing school way back in the day, you know, it was two different diagnoses. It was ADD and ADHD but now some brilliant person decided to combine the two diagnoses which obviously you can tell by the, my tone of voice I don't like <laughs> <laughs> so um you know once i realized that he was truly ADD and not ADHD it's just that they fall under the same umbrella Then I started doing my own research. Unfortunately, you know, ADD, ADHD, they have such a stigma attached to them um, that, you know, you almost never want your child to be labeled that, you know, or or at least, you know, that's how I felt, you know, with my age and my experiences. And, you know, I was just like, no, not that, anything but that.
1: (laughs) Well, you remember the bullying and the stereotyping and this this idea that a child with adhd or add is slow or can't sit at a desk and needs to be in a special class and yes. you know these these relics of bygone decades when this was something that had a real negative stereotype to it
0: yes yes they also diagnosed him with anxiety and depression which which was more aligned of what i thought it was mm-hmm. um So, you know, I realized that, you know, yes, he did have ADD. That totally made sense. And not only did he have ADD, that I probably had it too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's so funny you say that because I've spoken to a lot of people recently who only realized that they probably have it after getting a diagnosis for their child and doing that research like you did. Because all of a sudden, as they start doing that research, they go, huh, that sounds familiar. And they realize that all of these things actually apply to them too. And I've heard that so many different times. Out The older generation, our generation is realizing because we didn't get diagnosed as children or because we maybe uh, should have been diagnosed, but our parents didn't want the label. And so talk to me about that. How did the advocacy change after he got that label, got that diagnosis or got those diagnoses?
0: It was a relief because I had something to work with, right? It was no more guessing games. Like, you know, how do I help you? What's going on? Um, Because the thing that I did not mention before is that he did have suicidal ideations you know I mean he did talk about not wanting to be here anymore and I I just I didn't know what to do to help him right um you know like we were talking about before you know we got on the air mental health is not talked about enough even as a provider you know and I'm a family nurse practitioner I had no training on mental health when I was in school and if I did it wasn't it wasn't like a whole lot right I mean it just they we just like hit like the big ones right and then it's not like we really talked about the symptoms or really what to do except call the crisis center you know right but you know it was already in therapy you just don't know what to do so back to your question it, it was a relief because I I kind of was able to lay out a plan. And from there, I was able to go to a psychiatrist to see if he needed medication. And then, of course, we continued with therapy. Then the therapist kind of had like a guidance on what, you know, was going on. Uh, so we, we did end up in public school that August, and I was lulled into a false sense of security, right? I thought, okay, i checked all the boxes. I went and got him this outside referral. I had already been prepped and told that they would have to do the mental health, their own mental health evaluation, the school system would. But I was, I thought that it would be easier since they had this outside, you know, evaluation. And I had been told by several different people that it would be easier, So when we started school um, the first day or actually, you know, when orientation, you know, the week before, you know, I'm emailing trying to find out, you know, who the social worker, whoever it is that I need to tell that, you know, we've had an evaluation and go ahead and set up the evaluation in the school, trying to be proactive. I'm all, you know, all proud of myself we I couldn't get in touch with anybody um, or the person wasn't responding to me so we went to orientation and I quartered the person really. (laughs) (laughs) See mom bear coming back out. Yeah you know I was just like hey you know hello I've been emailing you and uh, you didn't respond and so um, this person who's in charge of the IEP which is what the psychologist recommended for my son told me I didn't need an IEP. What? Yeah. Yeah. She talked me out of an IEP. Oh my she gosh. Was, yeah. She said, you don't need an IEP. Uh, you know, anything an IEP can do, a 504 can do. So there's no reason for you to get an IEP. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't read the paperwork you sent me, but I did forward it to the assistant principal because she does the 504s, and we'll just do a 504. And if it was my child, I would just go with the 504.
1: And you trust that, of course, because right. she's a professional. She's does this for a living. She's in the school system. She appears to have forwarded it to the correct person. So why wouldn't you trust that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I was just like, oh, oh okay. That's what she's talking about. Right. Sure. Yeah. So, after weeks of bugging the assistant principal. <laughs> right. Um, and then only to find out that the 504 doesn't cover him. And then when we went for the IEP finally at the end of the year, they denied him because he makes straight A's. And they said his mental health doesn't affect his grades. And once his grades start falling, Then they'll reassess and maybe he'll be eligible.
1: Oh my gosh. My head is in my hands. I cannot believe that you were told that he makes two good grades in school. His grades are too good to qualify for an IEP. That drives me so crazy. It's one of my pet peeves about the medical system because It drives me crazy when providers deny preventative care because a comorbidity of some kind isn't severe enough to Mm -hmm. take action yet. So what, you want to wait until this gets to a crisis point and then treat it as opposed to treating something preventatively? And this is exactly the same thing in the school system. He isn't failing school. His grades haven't slipped So let's not give him the educational accommodations that he truly genuinely needs that his psychiatrist or psychologist has already said he needs. Let's not give him that because he's pushing through and pushing through successfully. Let's wait until he fails and then try to bring him back up. Oh, that just drives me crazy. I cannot believe that. That is so unbelievably frustrating.
0: I decided to fight it because I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I had somebody tell me that I could talk to an omnibusman, um, omnibusman in a state, and um, and that perhaps they could help. Um, but the omnibusmen in Georgia don't do that. They just help people in um, elderly homes. I called our county office for public schools. And I told them that I wasn't happy with the outcome and what could I do to fight it? And so they have parent liaisons. So they referred me to a parent liaison. And so it turns out the biggest issue that the school was having with me is that my son misses so many days of school Mm. because kids with anxiety, they often miss school. I mean, like, I thought that this was something, again, you know, we don't talk about this enough, you know, so I thought that this was something exclusive to my son until we went in this program called Strong for Life. And basically it's a preventative health program for kids. It's amazing. It's through the children's hospital here. Wow. That's cool. It is, right? Um, so when we went there, they had, you see lots of different departments. And one of them is psychology. And so when I was talking to them about his anxiety and they were like, yeah, it's common that kids who have anxiety and especially school anxiety miss a lot of school. Well, why is the school acting like this is something new? Right. You know, why are they sending me truancy letters, you know, threatening that the truant officer is going to come to my door? if this is not something new my impression was that the iep was going to help me with the attendance but the parent liaison said that it would not oh no so i'm like so what what's the point of the iep because his his um mental health is why he's missing school Right. And he's missing school, so it's affecting, you know, his academic performance, which is part of the whole IEP thing. And what so did they how, say? So how do I get him help for missing school? So she said that the only um, way that I could get him help was to do something called hospital homebound.
1: Hospital homebound. Okay.
0: What is that? Okay, so that is when somebody either is in the hospital for a period of time or a long time. Um, they have hospital homebound or they have intermittent hospital homebound. So intermittent hospital homebound means that your kid can go to school a couple of days a week, but it can't be like randomly. Like it has to be a, a, like, it's the predetermined days, which doesn't help me because it's not like, my son wakes up and goes, well, I'm not feeling it today, I'm not going, you know, like we don't do that. Right. <laughs> um, or, you know, we don't wake up at the beginning of the week and go, I'm not going Monday, Thursday and Friday.
1: Right, right. You can't tell that ahead of time. Right. So,
0: um, and then hospital homebound is is when you don't go at all and they provide you a teacher of some sort so either it's through virtual or they'll send you like a live teacher to help you with your schoolwork.
1: okay and he qualified for hospital homebound
0: well now he does because he has a different um issue going on he's having some pain in his legs and he's having difficulty walking oh poor and thing so you know but anyway um But, you know, I'm like, so where's the protection for our kids who have anxiety?
1: Right. Where is that? Where do you go to find resources for that? Where is the help for that?
0: Right. I mean, because, you know, it's known that, that, you know, since COVID, you know, more of our kids are having mental health problems. So what are we doing about those kids who are missing school?
1: Well, and that brings us back to advocacy, doesn't it? Because that's where the parents come in, parents like you. And so that's where your role picks up, because you have to be his advocate, because there is no system in place for advocating for your child through official means. So that leads me to my last question for you. If you could give one piece of advice to other parents who maybe don't have the medical experience that you have, they don't have that background in nursing and in patient advocacy, What piece of advice would you give them in order to better help them advocate for their children?
0: Research. Find out as much as you can about whatever diagnosis that your child has. Use your resources, the people around you. And if you don't have those people in your corner, then meet those people. Reach out to people on Facebook. Reach out to me. You know, I'm I'm more than happy to help. And my last thing is don't give up. It's a lonely road, but being in groups like Michelle's and finding yourself with people who support you, even if that's not your family, just surround yourself with people who support you and just hang in there
1: hang in there. It strikes me that you were inspired to advocate and all the people listening to this are now hearing about your journey of advocating for your son. And hopefully that will inspire and prepare them to advocate for their own children. So thank you so much for being with me today, Marla. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I had so much fun.
1: That's all for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to follow or subscribe and check out today's show notes for free downloadable resources and a link to join your village, our Facebook community. Catch you next time.